Sirius XM Sports presents At the Races with Steve Bick Horse racing, handicapping, interviews This is At the Races with Steve Bick Very good Monday, race fans. Sirius 162, XM 207, Sports Zone 999. I, I can't say it with alacrity. I, it's, it's, it's still going to take, you know, a few more weeks of practice. <laughs> but, it, it, you know, at least I got it right. Uh, and, of course, I, well, I can't say, of course, at the website because it's we're still working on the uh, on the stream, on getting uh, Brian, you know, Brian's going to be doing some engineering, and uh, the stream, you know, plugged into a computer and then through our website. So that that's still that still is in the works. So at the very least, uh, you'll get uh, you'll get the archive up very quickly, uh, as uh, as we've been doing. And Brian, actually, we had that was fun. We had uh, you know he, he he can't do it this morning, but uh, the feed on his uh, YouTube page and, and on the Facebook page, which was pretty cool. That uh, that worked out all right. So we'll uh, we'll get that stuff squared away. Uh, only two days of live uh, show this week: Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Best of Thanksgiving holiday. One of our favorites, of course, if not our favorite. And uh, we'll uh, we'll be back a week from you know today. Uh, the uh, we've got the grand. I, <laughs> I I will admit uh, that um, the 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 grandchildren factor, the grandchildren factor. Yeah, that'd be a good title for a book, the grandchildren factor. Uh, they'll be here tomorrow, and uh, they'll they'll be here uh, for like four or five days so I, I, I tina said to me you're not working <laughs> it, it wasn't a question are you working friday it, that was not the way it was phrased <laughs> it was phrased you're not working friday are you <laughs> that's that's the way it was introduced <laughs> that kind of said it all uh yeah okay i get the message <laughs> no i'm not working friday in other words <laughs> so uh, it, quite a bit, to, and we've got a very, I think, a pretty fun uh, morning planned, uh, and it, it does include, it has to obviously include, for those that uh, that that didn't necessarily uh, see the news, because it, it seems to have gotten a little bit uh, you know, lost I, I, in the crush of... Uh, you know, I, I don't want to call it a Friday, you know, the Friday news cycle or what, however they characterize it. But Friday afternoon, word started to circulate that Bobby Ussery had passed at 88. And Bobby Ussery was on with us, I want to say, I'm going to say during COVID because 
because uh, the you know during the Triple Crown season when when I, I you know was trying to <laughs> I'm dancing as fast as I can as as the <laughs> as the saying goes and uh, we you know tried to you know manufacture uh, some fun. Uh, shows during Triple Crown season. Uh, you know, there was obviously, uh, you know, so little live action to discuss. But, uh, you know, we had we had a number of, you know, of Triple Crown reminiscence, uh, particularly, you know, at that point, if you'll recall, you know, the way things, you know, ground to a halt in, in you know, at the end of March, but for the Triple Crown season, uh, it, it you know, tried to you know relive and 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 bring back as many of the memories from that period as possible, and with as many of the participants. And of course, Ussery, you know, Ussery's got an interesting Triple Crown history. Uh, Proud Clarion's uh, upset uh, win uh, in '67, but. Most interestingly, uh, the situation, uh, you know, that arose, uh, later on and, uh, you know, the dancer's image controversy and really, uh, in a lot of ways, a lot of ways, you know, incredibly unfair. Uh, think back to our conversations with Peter Fuller, and yeah, you know, that would have given Ussery not that you know, not that Ussery wasn't in the middle of a career that would, you know, would easily make him a Hall of Famer, but you know, back to back. Derby wins, uh, pretty pretty cool. Uh, and he could have he could have won others. I know we, the, the Ballyake was second, right, uh, in 1960. Uh, but uh, anyway, th- we'll we'll talk about Bobby Ussery. Uh, lucky to have uh, at least two visitors that uh, that knew him, that rode against him, that booked mounts for him. John Parada. We'll talk to you. First, first visit with John since moving to Ireland. So look forward to that. I, 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 timely anyway to talk to John, and he was he was Bobby Ussery's last agent. So looking forward to that, and Tony Black. It, it turns out just as just as well that we we didn't get to Tony Thursday because. Uh, he he knew Ussery at the end of his career, Ussery riding I think into seventy five, something like that, seventy three, seventy five, uh, and Tony you know Tony's got some Bobby Ussery stories, so uh, at least uh, those two, and uh, we'll uh, we'll see. I, I've got a couple of other reached out a couple of other directions as well. Uh, it's an eclectic, it'll be an eclectic morning. We'll have some weekend recapping to do, obviously. Norm Cassie is going to join us in about 10 minutes. We'll get Norm in first. And uh, Norm, with the 
the win in the Chaluki. And a nice win, actually. Uh, nice performance. Hot and sultry. Ricardo Santana Jr. There were some very good maiden uh, winners over the weekend we have to talk about. But Hot and Sultry wins the Chaluki. We'll talk to Norm. I, I think I saw a picture. I, I think I saw a picture where Crew, I think Crew is, is his groom already at the age of two. <laughs> it looks like he could handle it, uh, to be honest. <laughs> Uh, and we're going to talk to both Cassies as it happens. Uh, we'll talk to we'll talk to Mark as well uh, in the second hour. And I mentioned if you if you were listening carefully, <laughs> if you were listening last week or after Der after Derby after Breeders' Cup, I had mentioned that Mark Cassie and I had a uh, a conversation. Was it Friday? Leaving on Friday? I think it was leaving on Friday. And uh, uh, Breeders' Cup. And I think it had to be. And it, it came up. I, I, we were, I think we were talking about, we are just talking about uh, the scratches and, and uh, you know, the, the, the vet. Uh, you know, the obligations and, and the challenges that uh, the veterinary staff has. And he proceeded to show me a computer program on his phone and then explained to me about uh, this, this app and this service out of Europe. It's called Sleep or Sleep, S-L-E-I-P. And... Simply, simply done, you videotape the horse on the walk, uh, coming and going, and it, it gets downloaded to their website and gets computer analyzed, whatever the algorithm is and the visual, whatever, you know, whatever the mechanics are internally and it sends you back a, a, a report uh, and a sort of a diagram with red yellow and green coating on the limbs and green obviously everybody every every limb is hitting well and yellow there's a potential problem, and red, a a specific problem, and it'll show by the ankle, it'll show by the, you know, by the fetlock, by wherever, wherever it uh, happens to be, wherever the horse is not hitting well, and and hinting at, you know, some sort of a uh, of a lameness. So Mark's going to explain this, and I, when, when, you know, I, as he's explaining it to me, we got around, I got around to asking him about the, you know, the cost, because I figured the cost had to be, you know, quite a bit, and it wasn't, it was not at all, a and it seems like it's something that could really help 
uh, get out in front of issues. Fascinating. To me, it was fascinating, and I, I'm actually was. I said to Mark, I said, "How is this not? How is this not more widely known? And why is this not getting more attention?" So, but apparently, apparently, it's a big deal for the uh, equestrian world. They use it uh, widely. So we'll hear more about it. So you get, you get two for one, like certs. It's two. It's two. It's two Cassies in one. Norman first, Mark later. Uh, I told you John Parada and Tony Black. John White will look at uh, the action uh, from Del Mar, including, uh, including uh, that tremendous performance uh, from the Nyquist, that Nysos uh, that Baffert uh, had in the in the Bob Hope yesterday, and in fact, let me go back and, and check. I'm curious. Uh, it was early, you know, this morning. There was no fig yet, uh, which is not surprising. But let's see if Andy. No, not yet. Andy, I think does the. Uh, I'm not sure if Andy or Mark Hopkins uh, these days does the uh, Delmar numbers. But uh, that was some performance. I mean, visually, it passed the eye test. <laughs> the the old eye test. Uh, there, there were, there was, there was a ton of action, uh, stake-wise. Uh, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, New York. Uh, that carryover that we touched on with Nick Tamaro Friday. If you're listening to the replay just now, actually, uh, that was that was impossible, and we and we sort of hinted at that. And I, and that, it's one of the reasons I did not, I did not try anything on Friday. Uh, I mean, I I ran out of racetrack but uh when i looked at it i said this is this is ugly uh as a proposition to hit the pick six so sure enough double pick six carryover into saturday and from there it it, it actually turned out quite straightforward uh it didn't it didn't feel like it had to be uh, and and you know that's one of the that's one of the real tricks when it comes to pick sixes, that's one of the real battles uh, when you're you know you you know you you especially a double carryover you think oh you know things are up in the air, what they, they they really weren't, um, and I I there was a point I I thought I was in decent shape I, I was kind of working my way through I singled uh, Danzig with the stars. Making uh, the first start, you know, Rick Dutrow's Rick Dutrow's got everything just humming, and Dancing with the Stars, who who has always been a a nice enough type, and, and in fact a horse that for those of you that pl that play along uh, during the summer uh, at, at Saratoga, when I when I'm doing the uh, the DePaulo Chevrolet. Danzig with the stars. Uh, I I scored with last year, and tried tried him again this year. I mean, he's always a square price. He's always like the fourth or fifth choice, <laughs> and uh, you know, and and you know, not a not a big winner per se, but a horse that you know turns in nice performances, and uh, you know, he's had a couple of months 
uh, in the Dutch Row barn. And, you know, he fe felt to me like, you know, if he, if he ran his usual race and with any improvement, he could break through. And that's exactly what you got. Uh, and I ended up singling him. And so I thought, oh, you know, this is, this is very, <laughs> I thought this was pretty auspicious, but uh, it, 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 it kind of went sideways. Uh, was Ski Sue, uh, too, in the, in the maiden breaker that made sense. But then, um, then came the ninth and the tenth, and that was it. Uh, George Duarte, who we may talk to. I reached out to George. Haven't talked to him in ages. And... Uh, Dylan Davis, they win. Actually, they didn't just win. They repeated. How about that? They repeated in that turf championship, same exact way. Went to the front, wire to wire, exact same way as last year. And uh, the Kirby, how about the Kirby horse that came up from um, Maryland? Boats are rocking. Ran very well to be second and lit the board up 44 to 1 to be second in there. Uh, but nothing's better, nothing better. And, you know, you looked at the numbers, then he was competitive, but I just, I, I was looking elsewhere. Uh, then White Duke was, was really didn't put in his rally. Uh, Allegon, uh, the, the Ned uh, Allard really didn't, you know, kind of meekly rallied. Uh, and it's not like, it's not like nothing better didn't set a, you know, a real pace. So, anyway, um, that was it. I, that, so I, then I thought to myself, okay, we're in good shape. Maybe we'll get five of six. No. No five of six for you. No console for you. You're a bad man. Uh, Proudfoot. Dutch row again. <laughs> yeah. And and you know, Proudfoot, he, he, he could have won. He was one of one of the ones. Uh, but I tried Spun Special at a price, and and I see Reply. She's awesome. Shaman Princess, no good. Uh, so, for those of you that negotiated, four thousand one hundred and seventy-five dollars. Forty-one seventy-five, not so terrible. Uh, and in fact, Andy put up the, I don't know if you saw this, Andy put up the parlay. I think the parlay was just about a little bit more than half, 2,300, 2,400. So this was, this was eminently hittable, and, uh, and that, that came, back, uh, came back pretty good. Uh, we'll get to some of the other stakes and some of the maiden performances. There were some maiden breakers and, and more. We'll get to that, but uh, coming up on 20, so let me, uh, and Friday too, a couple of uh, performances, but I'll put this aside so we can get Norm Cassie in here and get uh, get, get the uh, the morning started. Uh, the uh, There's also news as we go to Kentucky. I uh, saw this morning, and I, I sent him a text uh, congratulating him. Tony Callow. The way they go. Tony Callow uh, is going to uh, take uh, the mic at uh, Turfway Park. Yeah. Starts Wednesday. Not this Wednesday. Next Wednesday. And... Uh, uh, 
the um, the uh, season actually uh, coincides perfectly for for Tony um, with his assignment at uh, at Finger Lakes. He's been there 15 years, which I, it seems impossible that he's been there 15 years. I. I I was kind of shocked uh, that it's that long. Anyway, Tony Kahlo, who uh, I, I think calls a great race. Uh, he, he will be a uh, he's a nice uh, nice addition. Jimmy McInerney has done a fine job. Uh, Jimmy uh, you know, is a, continues as a chalk agent. I suppose he'll continue to call at uh, at uh, Ellis. So. Yeah, Tony Kalem. You didn't see that. Let me. Tony's asking me a question, so that's why I'm. Uh, that's why I'm slow to react here. All right. Let me. Uh, let me find uh, Norman. There we go. There's Norman. All right. Uh, Norm Cassie uh, will uh, be. Will be first or next, however you want to characterize it, and uh, looking forward. Looking forward to congratulating Norm on a uh, on another stake win. He joins us now. He's been he's been like a deadly assassin all all year long. And when he sends him over, uh, he's taken no prisoners. Norm Cassie, congratulations. Thank you, thank you, Steve. Thanks for having me on this morning. No, my pleasure, and uh, always always fun. And boy, um, you know the, the, your. The Cassie family has a history of everybody pitching in and 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 you know uh, taking on uh, responsibilities. I'm I'm just surprised that crew is is grooming uh, horses at such a young age. <laughs> well, you got to start somewhere, don't you? <laughs> feel like uh, no, honestly, we feel like with the, my two sons that uh, they will have the ability to you know be the very best at this if that's what they choose to do so um we're gonna start bringing them around at an early age and uh and see see how much they like it i i saw him uh i saw him uh with the smock on uh which and, and i thought well he's it's it, it won't be long now i thought that was a hilarious picture that, that will definitely be a framer and it'll be up at the house for a long time <laughs> i love it how is the baby Everybody's doing really well. It's an exciting time. It's, uh, you know, the holidays are around. Everybody's getting excited about that. I um, mean, you know, I'd hate to admit it, but we put up our Christmas tree yesterday afternoon, and crew thought that was just the coolest thing. So it's just an exciting time around the house. I love it. And uh, exciting uh, getting to be a transitional time uh, around the racetrack as well as uh, things get ready to, you know, you can see the end uh, in sight at Churchill and uh, the winter months ahead. Uh, we'll talk about that after we talk about hot and sultry coming back in here wire to wire. And uh, as Jay Privman famously says, uh, went to the front and improved her position. Yeah, no, I mean, listen, she, we had some issues that we had to clean up after the Derby City distaff. Um, she obviously had some time and you know, a bit of freshening when she came back from the farm, uh, Becky Maker's farm. It was pretty apparent that she was even as good as she was in the spring. She was even better. She was working extremely well. Um, this was not 
just full disclosure, it was not the race that we wanted to run in. We were shooting for an allowance race. Just felt like as good as she was doing, still very, very hard to bring bring a horse back uh, at that one-turn mile distance, especially a filly like her who's so aggressive. So that was not the plan. And uh, fortunately, it's one of those deals where it's sometimes it's uh, better to be lucky than good. And we were forced to be there on the Saturday. And um, I think if you go back and look at her form from the rest of the year, uh, you know, Saturday's race was a little bit of class relief, to be honest. She's been running against some of the best fillies in the country. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, she, she kind of stamped herself as being one of those in her own right on, on Saturday night. Well, and uh, what's interesting is, is you know, the versatility because, I mean, she had, when when, when Steve Asmussen had uh, this filly, she's a spitester, uh, was a pricey spitester uh, at Keeneland, September 20. She was four years old. And uh, this is for the Leblongs, for Alex and Joanne. And had won a couple of times early on in the career wire to wire but then subsequently you're you know with you she hadn't done that um and in fact the last time she tried it was going two turns in the apple blossom uh you know talk about you know that aspect and of course uh, ricardo santana jr had actually ridden her in her maiden breaker yeah, no, I mean, I, I think you hit the nail on the head. I think she's extremely versatile, uh, versatile filly. I mean, I still don't know if we know exactly what she's best at. She's obviously fast enough to be a sprinter. I think she has a high cruising speed, and I think, um, you know, had it not been Clarier and Secret Oath and the Apple Blossom, things could turn out differently for her in her two-turn races. I mean, she she literally got beat by some of the best fillies yeah. uh, that were running last year at, at a route of the ground anyway. So it's hard for us to kind of pinpoint what we're going to do next. We're going to let her dictate what's going on. Um, personally, I, I think the thing that's most encouraging, and I don't think you necessarily saw it on Saturday night, is I do feel like, she is becoming more kind and and uh, easier to manage, so to speak. She's typically very, very aggressive, and that's not necessarily a good thing all the time. Um, we just took advantage of the way that the race kind of played out. I thought Ricardo rode the horse brilliantly. She obviously set fast fractions, but I feel like if you're going to do that on the turn, it's instead of waiting and kind of letting uh, everybody else catch up to you when you already have been given a head start, you kind of kick away even more. And he allowed her to do that on the far turn. Uh, and I like the way that he did that. Ricardo seems to get along with her really well. And uh, hopefully that's a, a partnership that can uh, continue. You know, she'd been away uh, since May. That's another aspect of this that, you know, that folds in. And, uh, you know, in retrospect, you know, the one-turn mile, probably a, 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 a nice hybrid uh, scenario for her. Uh, you know, had, had won at the configuration at Churchill when she won that allowance. Um, and she has, it's interesting, she, she won going a mile off of a very similar kind of a break last year. Uh, as it happens, as a three-year-old breaks the maiden in January, comes back six months later and wins a one-turn mile uh, off that that same kind of layoff. Uh, that that's that that's uh, hadn't really noticed that until now. I think yeah, I think at the end of the day, Steve, it's just that she's super talented. 
you know, like I think that she can do things that some horse, you know, most horses, she she kind of defies conventional wisdom. I guess is the best way to put it. I mean, I, I've already alluded to it earlier today or earlier on. I didn't. This was not what I planned yeah. on happening, you know. But at the same time, that's that's kind of using your uh, your knowledge from ninety nine percent of the horses that you typically train. It doesn't work well. it's works with a horse like hot and sultry just because she is immensely talented so uh you kind of got to throw the rule book out with her um problem is and i agree with you i i think seven eighths to a, you know to a one turn mile is probably her ideal distance but there's not too many racetracks that have that configuration yeah. especially during the winter so like you know what what do we do going forward with her um you know, I think realistically, she goes to Oakland. That's where the Lee Bonds like to be put, uh, based, and that's why, uh, you know, they actually ended up sending me horses to begin with because I started going to Oakland. Um, I just feel like that Philly and Mare distaff division is probably ro- wide open right now. A lot of the good ones retired, and maybe she could take advantage of that. Yeah, exactly. And, and uh, you know, as the as the season goes. Uh, yeah, it's perfect. This is actually timing-wise. It's a perfect way to get started. You know, she'll be a mayor in uh, five weeks, and uh, you know, you, you got uh, whatever option you want. If you're going to go down the apple blossom route again, or uh, you know, if 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 the sprinting is the is the thing, so be it. Yeah. No, we got options, and we're going to let her dictate. But um, you know, right now we're just super excited to have her back and. Um, obviously very excited to see that she's uh, not only did she come back well, but she came back probably better than ever. Well, hot and sultry. She's a spitester. Uh, she's out of the Medagliadoro mare hot water and uh, who herself, I believe, uh, was a stakes mare that uh, rings a bell somewhat. I'm gonna, I'll be checking on that here presently as, uh, as we say hot water. There she is. Uh, confirm as we use the fabulous American produce records. Yeah, this yeah, she, very, very productive. Uh, this is the dam of Hot Beach as well. The you know the two-year-old Omaha Beach, one of the early ones. She had Tracksmith going back a few years. The Street Sense. Uh, wow, uh, Tortuga and Scalding. This has been uh, it's been a very productive mare. She's a very very good mare. Yeah. Out of and out of elusive heat herself, and uh, uh, very. This is uh, now, which explains a few things. Because as, as a as a daughter of Spitzer, for her to fetch that kind of price, uh, you know, there had to be yeah, four hundred and seventy-five thousand as a yearling, not not as a two-year-old. So very nice. Uh, while we've got well, you, think, you know, Steve, I yeah. gotta think, I gotta give credit where credit's due. Alex and and Bohunt pick out some of the nicest and fastest horses I've ever been around. And so, uh, you know, they they go out and pick out their own horses. Uh, Bohunt helps Alex do it, and. I, if you if you would see Hot and Soul Train person, you'd understand why they spent the money on her. They probably didn't look at the pedigree nearly as much as you would think. They just looked at her, and she she looks like a racehorse. So I think that has a lot more to do with it. Obviously, the mare is great. Um, Hot and Soul Train, in her own right, is just an honest horse. I, I I just feel like it's so 
so nice to lead a filly over there knowing she's going to run for you because sometimes they can be flighty or whatever and if things don't go their way they don't necessarily run the way you expect them to but with this filly she's just got that type of temperament where like you lead her over there you know she's gonna she's gonna perform for you and uh that probably comes from the mayor and you know i mentioned elusive heat of course this is you know the you go back three dams and there's extra heat herself um, so there's, uh, this is a big, this is a grade three. So this is a big win. She's already grade one placed, of course, from the, uh, apple blossom. And, uh, uh, she continues to enhance her value. Nicely done. Norm Cassie, let's, uh, touch, uh, on, uh, what else is going on. As I mentioned, you know, you've, you've really been, you've really been selective. You, you've obviously surpassed, uh, uh, you know your earnings mark uh it's your best year uh now what five years into uh into the training career and um you've had the most wins 40 uh 43 wins on the year so every win is going to be a new you know a new mark uh you know talk a little bit about the year and uh, how you're positioned you know heading into 24. I'm just very proud of the year that we've had. Um, I, I don't know if a selective is the best way to describe it. I, I still just, you know, I still have very limited numbers, Steve. I'll be honest. It's not like uh, as well as we've been doing. It's not like we've been generating a ton of new business. So it's not like I have like an arsenal of horses at my disposal or whatever. We're still sitting at about 45, 50 horses at a time, which is a good number. I'm certainly not anything to. To, to laugh at or whatever but it's just you know um not necessarily generating the business that we would have liked to at this point and hopefully that's coming but uh no it just feel like um we're realistic where we spot our horses um obviously feel very confident with our program and what we do with the horses uh, when we do lead a horse over we know the horse is primed to run a big race and you know i really feel like the difference between being a you know, a 12, 15% trainer to a 20, 22% trainer is, is spotting the horses and trying to figure out where the horses belong, um, maybe one or two races before the next guy does. And, uh, we've, we've been really good at doing that. So I think that's the big difference. Um, uh, as far as going forward, we'll, we'll be based at Oakland and fairgrounds again, just like we did last year. Really like that system. Send the, send the horses that need to don't, can't miss much training in case the weather's bad they those horses go to the fairgrounds and then the horses that are just basically primed and ready to run they go to oakland if if we have a couple bad days of winter weather it's okay but hopefully going forward we'll get some more clients get some new horses and really start taking advantage of uh you know kentucky which is my home and uh we're really proud of what churchill downs is doing and we just want to continue to support them as much as we possibly can well, uh, you, you mentioned the placements, and uh, you know, I saw Johnny's Fireball ran the other day as well, and uh, I was at Saturday uh, second. I mean, always seems to, always seems to be acquitting himself well, and and you know you you're taking advantage of of you know of allowance uh, spots with him. I mean, it's kind of interesting, right? He, he there's a horse that is just accruing earnings, has made almost two hundred thousand this year very we're very very realistic like one of my one of the, johnny fireball is probably one of my favorite things that we did this year so we claimed him for 50 he was eligible for a 2x we came back at ellis 
instead of running him in the two X, you know, for the two X condition, we ran him for the claiming price, snuck him in, won that race because he was in for the claiming price. He's still eligible for the allowance condition next time. He comes back and wins that race again. So we just, you know, especially with the claimers, I just feel like we're really diligent with what we do with the horses. Um, it's, it has a, a lot more to do with the way that we spot the horses than anything else. I uh, just really, really feel like we've kind of got a, a good handle on those type of horses. Well, I mean, I could bring up others, including the horse that we absolutely crushed with at Saratoga. I know that got claimed, right? Uh, Bear Oak. Yeah, and Bear Oak's a perfect example, too. Like, here he is. He, We were we, we kind of anticipated that the race would come off the grass. It did. We put him in a race that he was no longer eligible for, but we put him in for a high price, claiming 100000 Justin Nicholson, who I'll give him a ton of credit. He's the one who picks out the claiming horses for us. Uh, he's very, very smart, very diligent. He's got a good handle on the horses and where they belong. And, uh, you know, if we need to make a, a surface switch or whatever, he, he claimed the horse for 50. Turn around, when, how many races did we win with him? Four? Yeah. Won four races with him, and then he gets claimed for 100000 Yep. How do you I beat mean, that? You can make money. Yep. If you do things the right way, you can make money, especially with the claimant horses. And uh, I think we've better proven that. Well, uh, from claiming horses uh, and, of course, uh, Bear Oak on on Travers Day was a bonanza uh, for players. And then we go to, you know, the maiden, the the high-priced maiden opportunities in Kentucky. Uh, You've had a few uh, interesting ones that we'd like to catch up on. How about Lookster uh, that won, what, two weeks ago? Looks, she's doing really well. She's in on Saturday. Um, uh, she's she got a perfect post position. It's it's a it's a it's a good allowance race. It's, Brad's got two really nice, well bit fillies in there as well uh, for for good connections. But I feel like Lookster's doing extremely well. Um, her first race was just a complete throwout. She kind of she got left at the gate and ran real spotty, ran up on heels and things like that. Just had a terrible trip. I feel like the the race where she broke her maidens definitely, uh, you know, shows off much more of what she's capable of. She's got a high cruising speed. Uh, I really wish the race was two turns because I feel like going forward that's what she's going to do best. Uh, but we'll take this one turn allowance race with her and we'll go forward from there. But she's, uh, I'm excited to see her run on Saturday because she's really worked well since she broke her maiden. Well, and, uh, you know, this is a hard spun filly that, uh, uh, came out of Timonium, right? Yeah. Uh, 185,000 for, uh, Bat Masterson, bred by 10 lane and, uh, out of a Malibu moon mare and, uh, feels like, you know, that was a, you know, the, the necessary step forward. And, you know, once again, you're, you're, you know, you're not throwing her into the, into the Pocahontas or, you know, trying to, trying to tilt windmills right away. No, I have, I have too many friends that I respect that will, will not allow me to do things like that, <laughs> <laughs> including my wife. <laughs> I have a lot of people that I have to answer to when I make bonehead decisions. <laughs> we just limit those decisions when we can't. That's so great. There you go. Yeah, that's, that's true. That's there, there's advantages of being of of having nothing but nothing but 
you know, racetrack family members, and, and then there's a few, you know, there's a few sidebars that uh, that that are a little bit more difficult to manage. Uh, pretty funny. I, the, I should catch up. We should catch up actually on rhyme schemes too. Who, you know, unfortunately, you had to back off. Uh, give everybody an update uh, that's that's tracking rhyme schemes. He's doing extremely well at the farm. He should be back uh, first week of January. Um, it's going to be. He's going to be hard-pressed to, to, to make the classics. I'm sure that's what everybody would be most interested in. But that's okay. I feel like he still has the potential to be a superstar. Um, the prognosis for everything is very, very good and excellent. And, um, she, you know, obviously his performance on the racetrack speaks volumes. And hopefully he comes back uh, just as good, if not better. And then we'll have a whole lot of fun with him during the summer and the fall. Well, nice. All right. Well, uh, I, I wish there wish that news was more, uh, you know, the more positive in terms of uh, timing as a three-year-old. I tell you, we we can talk about a colt though for the Leblongs that uh, might be operating a little bit under the radar. What the what's next for Mo Fight? Mo Fight had some issues that had to be cleaned yeah. up as well, and I really yeah. I you know as as funny Steve that you bring it up, just you know and. We can we can make light of these things because that's just 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 the way that the horse racing industry is and how tough the game is and I don't think people appreciate it that much uh, that are on the outside. As good as the year's been, we've had a lot of setbacks. So like I have so many nice horses that are now on the shelf that are coming back next spring that are super talented. Rhyme schemes, um, Mo Fight, Empire Island, those type of horses that probably could have made it and we could have pressed on with them and and you know ultimately they probably wouldn't have performed as well as they could uh but we did the right things with them in hopes of bringing them back uh and, and performing at a higher level because we took care of them and they reward us for us kind of like i did with hot soldiery so um they'll be back in the spring mo fight i think uh if he comes back the right way could end up being the best horse i have so he, he always kind of promoted himself that way. He just uh, he had some minor things that had to be cleaned up, and, and he should come back just uh, should come back really really strong for us. Uh, well, I'm, I hope that's the case. This is uh, this is a notable family. Uh, the dam. It's funny. The dam uh, pretty much was has an empty page. However, the dam was herself out of Juan Desta, who was a fabulous Judmont mare that I uh, is, that fits my my bill as uh, a horse that time forgot. Juan Desta was really good for Bobby Frankel, and uh, she's the second dam. I'm looking at this pedigree. Mo Fight, uh, a Uncle Mo. Uh, for the Leblongs that uh, broke the maiden at Keeneland and uh, uh, obviously, or Churchill, excuse me, uh, in September. And uh, we'll that's put that on uh, the list of off of off of Norm's uh, suggestion. Um, how about uh, how about the big Philly? How about Southland? Actually, uh, uh, Robert sold her at, uh, at Keeneland. He got six hundred thousand for her. Uh, I'm, I'm not exactly sure who ended up with her. She was completely sound. I uh, just thought that was the best move uh, financially for Robert at the time. So um, uh, we wish the new connections good luck. Interesting. All right, uh, and I, I that 
600, it just shows you what it was like for, for those first couple of days where, when 600,000 doesn't really make the headlines, <laughs> right? Yeah, no, no, exactly. I never even read an article about it. No, I didn't see. I, I that was way underneath the uh, uh, underneath the radar. Okay, one more that I want to catch. Uh, see, speaking of uh, of Bat, uh, who I saw at Breeders' Cup and uh, always smiling, no matter uh, what the outcomes. Um, it, you had a horse that debuted at Keeneland and then ran back last weekend. Uh, you know where I'm headed. This is a Munnings filly, Loveland, uh, who showed promise in the debut. And uh, then what happened last week? I think uh, so. so uh... Full transparency, she bled really badly, so yeah. we just sent her the Haggards to, uh, to stand her in the, cha- uh, the hyperbaric yep. chamber. She'll come back fine. I think I think that's all it was. I think that she bled badly, and um, I think she's super talented as well. I'm excited about her. Uh, I'm really proud of the fact that we're, we're kind of doing everything we can to make sure she comes back better. I, you know, I, I think probably if I – could do things over with maybe i would have given her one more sprint before i turned around and, and, and made a route because she was just so aggressive and maybe we could have done some things differently to get her to settle a little more um and and she had never bled before so i just feel like that was part of the problem hmm. but uh i think she's a filly that probably you'll see in mid-january back um and hopefully making some noise in the spring uh who's uh who's a uh the best two-year-old that people haven't seen yet honestly you've pretty much seen everybody that i have okay. uh, I, I just i do have a bernardini colt uh his name's bad as good boy for um for mr lee Blanc. i like him a lot uh he probably won't start until oakland starts uh but other than that it's pretty much what you see is what you get uh i don't really have anything under the radar right now all right well then finally uh we'll ask about uh how about Gulfstream Way? <laughs> Gulfstream Way is another one that had to, is going to have the rest of the winter off. So right. he, he'll be another one that's on the radar for the spring when we come back. I'm really excited about the spring, Steve, because I do have a lot of nice horses that we're giving time off to that will be coming back. Stiggs caliber horses. So um, right now it seems bleak, but things are only uh, improving every day. Can't be bleak uh, when you when you win the, the grade three Chaluki on Saturday, hot and sultry, and uh, the Lieblongs and uh, Bat Masterson and uh, lots of uh, other nice clients. Uh, got the two fabulous uh, kids and, and uh, the – the nicest wife uh, anywhere. Well, Norm, well done. Uh, happy Thanksgiving. What's the Thanksgiving plan? Is uh, John Nichols having everybody over? No, actually, my so my mom's family all lives in Pensacola, Florida. They always come up for Thanksgiving. So they'll uh, the, my mom's side of the family will all travel up. We do this every year. We'll probably go to the races, even if we don't have the horses in, and we'll just spend the. Uh, the entire week hanging out with them, and it's really nice. And uh, we're very, very thankful for our family and, and uh, definitely our beautiful kids. Norm, Cassie, everybody, and as I mentioned, you're probably not aware, it, it's a Cassie morning because uh, Mark Cassie joins us at 1030 as well today. Well, make sure you ask, ask him what it's like to beat me when he has a head start because that's about the only way he could do it. No! Hey, now! <laughs> All right.
Thanks, really. Norman. <laughs> so great. Norm Cassie, everybody. It's so much fun. And uh, he's really he's had a fabulous, fabulous year. Uh, we're going to reach uh, to um, uh, to uh, Ireland. You ready for this? Our first conversation with John. I, I've been texting him and emailed back and forth, but our first conversation with John Parada, uh, who now uh, is a... Uh, now is a full-time resident of the Emerald Isle. He, he was he kept threatening. He 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 was threatening. Uh, he was threatening for ages to uh, to move to Ireland, and then uh, he and he and Maggie went ahead and did it. John, good morning. Hey Steve, how are you? Happy birthday. Well, thank you very much. Thank you. And many more, many more, my friend. I appreciate it. Uh, the uh, 64. It's it's one of those it's one of those. Uh, I don't, you wouldn't think of it as a as a major milestone, but it when when you know that 65, they've made such a big deal of 65. You know, my my entire life growing up. Oh, 65, 65, and and, and then as it's gotten closer, they moved the goalposts. Now now you now you work you work till 75. Sixty-five. You're just a kid. <laughs> well, that, I guess from 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 a certain vantage point, uh, you know, I I, That's right. I, sh I shouldn't have waited this long, you know, to and, and there's always reasons to talk to you anyway. But uh, yes, we got well, we got to get the the details and and how you know you and Maggie are adjusting to the the life uh, uh, in in Ireland. Um, you, I didn't get a chance to see you when you came home. Uh, for Aiden's birthday, uh, wedding, um, so let's let's get the let's get those pleasantries out, and uh, then we'll talk yeah. about Bobby Ussery. Well, uh, I mean, I moved to Ireland. I, I wish I did. I wish I'd done it ten years ago. It's wonderful. Um, we found a place to live in the right in the geographic center of Ireland, in what's called the Midlands. We're on a, a lake that that has the Shannon River runs through it, or the River Shannon, as it's called here. And uh, it's, you know, despite what people talk about the weather, it does rain a lot here. Uh, but we have, have a lovely day today. We had a lovely day yesterday and we expect we want tomorrow. It's, uh, it's I guess, pretty similar to, uh, you know, New York weather, you know, chilly uh, this time of year. But there's a horse sale started up at Goffs today. Um, you know, there's if you're a horse person, Ireland is, is one place that has to be on your on your list um i used to say it was it was easy to know because uh the coins here the old punts before they introduced the euro the, the punt coin the the uh, 25 cent coin so to speak uh, their quarter had a horse on it hmm. so it, it was so it's so ingrained into the, the culture here uh you know everybody the the races are on every day on the on tv they have a special channel two channels for them so we don't miss that you don't miss anything their jump season is going just got rolling last uh, last week uh with uh, uh one of the first gold cups and uh you know you get used to jumps here they're very exciting they they, they only run the jumps on the really soft ground so you see when you see them fall they pop right up it's it's uh, it's very uh uh, interesting to watch, uh, you know, 25 horses go over and none of them fall or 
anything and uh, but when they do they you know they pop right up and uh, uh, it's a uh, it's just a different culture as as you know the uh, the people here are wonderful I mean I you could understand after you live here for a while why the Irish have been so successful around the world um, they're just very pleasant people and um, you know they're very engaging uh, I think when you come it'll be hard to control you because every time you stop and say hello to somebody just <laughs> passing they start a conversation which has been a little bit of a disadvantage with my wife because she's been known to be a conversationalist too like yourself so we'll, we'll be standing in line someplace and she'll talk to the person next to her 15 minutes later you know uh you know they she knows their kids the kids names you know where they are you know where they go to school and all that stuff but it's uh and uh, uh we were very much enjoying it um and uh you know uh we've had a lot of visitors maggie's brother and his wife came last week for a week um you know we went to the horse sales the week before that they had a mixed sale um and we try to get to the races. We live fairly near a racetrack called Russ Common. Uh, a, that's a flat and hurdle track and a uh, jump track. And then there's uh, the Kerr is only about 45 minutes away. Uh, and we went there for closing the, the last day of their season uh, a week ago Sunday. But uh, great stuff. And I can't wait until you come here and you'll show you around and you'll really enjoy it. Uh, I, we've talked to Tina and I have already, we've been, we've been trying to, you know, every time there's an opening on the calendar where we've said, you know, Ireland, can we go, can we go to, you know, we, we even, yeah, yeah. we, she even said, you know, she said, what about Christmas? I said, I, I don't, I'm a little too. We went to Dublin the other day. Actually, I'll post it on, uh, on, on, uh, what do you call it? Twitter today. Uh, we took some pictures. We were in Dublin on Saturday, uh, and they, put up the Christmas lights and Grafton street, which is the main shopping street in Dublin. It's a, it's a promenade, no, no car traffic. And they turned on the lights last week and it's, it was magnificent. Uh, you know, it's, it's a, it's a buzz basically, uh, really, really beautiful. Um, we, yeah, we, 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 we will, we will get there. No, we we'll have to worry about Thanksgiving, you know, there's no, no. Thanksgiving. No, we're, exactly. We're doing our own, but we're not, we're not, uh, you know, we're introducing some people here to Thanksgiving. Do they? Do they? Um, are go the gooses? They? 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 Is? Is? You know, what kind of a? They got all kinds of game fowl, right? Oh yeah, yeah. But um, this turkey is uh, turkey's. You know, plenty of turkey here. Yeah, yeah. Right. yeah they eat Christmas tur Christmas turkey here. Christmas turkey. Uh, oh, yeah. Right. yeah, but the turkeys. Yeah, the, the food's great here. I mean, you're. The gourmand that you are, you would just go crazy because they're, um, the food is on a very high level, mainly because all of, all of the ingredients are very fresh. Uh, when we go by, for instance, we're supposed to be talking about horses, but I'm getting on a food thing here for a second. Uh, if we go buy lettuce, for example, in, in a grocery store here, it has the roots on it. There's dirt on the roots, so it's still alive, you know, and everything is very flavorful. Um, it's, uh, um, 
I can't say enough to, to recommend it. And I, I got a list of restaurants in Ireland and as long as your arm. Hmm. So, and I have quite a few people been in touch with me, you know, they're coming over for races and things from, I had some people in Dublin racing club that, you know, I stay in touch with and, uh, it's fun. It's good fun. Well, small country. Everybody, everybody that I see and they ask, uh, and, and they said, you know, have you been over? I said, not yet, but we're going. I said, you should go. And, and I, I said that to Woody the other day at, at Breeders' Cup. And and the, and what he explained, he, he he doesn't go. He goes from the apartment to Santa Anita. Right, exactly. That, that, yeah, that's yeah, that's yeah. the breadth of his travel. Right, I talked to him. Yeah, <laughs> you're welcome to come for Christmas. We'd love to have you. Oh, uh, well, now all right. It well, would be fun. Now we'll have fun. to. She she's we'll she she was serious about that. And I thought yeah. I all right. I we we'll have to revisit well, there's this. All, there's all sorts of Christmas markets and Christmas festivals and all sorts of stuff going on um yeah this uh, is yeah, uh yeah, all right this could this this yeah, could materialize yeah. then i'll i will discuss yeah. it with her tonight all right a couple of racing festivals too yeah. a couple of christmas christmas racing festivals uh, well, she won't be happy she won't be happy about that uh, let me let me shift gears and uh, and talk about uh, your you know your relationship with Bobby Ussery and you know I, I it's Tony Tony Black uh, who's going to join us next uh, you know I said to Tony I said who else do you think and I said John's going to join us and um, he said you know he said he's he's one of these guys that kind of outlived. You know, a lot of his, most of his contemporaries, if not all. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, Bobby Ussery, uh, I got involved with him in 74. I was, uh, I'd been a jockey agent for about two and a half years, and I'd had, you know, a couple of, I'd had Frank Ionelli, I'd had Paul Kaline, who was at the end of his career, he was, you know, towards retiring. Uh, and he was he was a very well known writer, um, but he was older and he was getting ready to retire. So I ended up with him because I was a rookie. Uh, I had uh, Marty Froman, uh, you know, a few other guys at Jersey, Jersey, Pennsylvania guys, who worked that circuit. But I got to Monmouth in '74. I didn't have a rider, and I showed up there, or, you know, a month early. I lived because I lived around. I was at the backside all the time, and the clerk of scales was. Uh, a man named Tom Kelly, who was, I mean, everybody loved Mr. Kelly. He was, and he was like everybody's grandfather, so to speak. Um, and he said to me, he said, Usher, he's going to come down here and he needs an agent. I think it's you. And I said, that's okay with me. You know, uh, you know, what an opportunity. And uh, Bobby showed up. I got to know him. And uh, we won the regret stakes with a filly named Aram Lily, who was half sister to Proud Truth, who would later, you know, win the Breeders' Cup um, for John Beach. But uh, you know, Bobby had a relationship with Lou Rondinello, of course, from New York, and you know, he just called me up and put him on. But that was our that was our big one. And then maybe halfway into the meet, because Bobby was. I was a big guy. He fought his weight all all his life. And he said to me, we were about halfway through the meeting, he said, called me up and he was staying at the Holiday Inn by 
was around 36 by Mammoth, and he said, John, he says, I can't do it anymore. This is it. I can't do it. And he, and he wrote me a check, and he said, listen, good luck, kid. Uh, hmm. You know, and he, said, and he hung it up. And basically, that was the last time he wrote, because I would say a week, maybe two weeks later, I saw him. He says, I'm up to 145. <laughs> you know, he was he was waiting for that moment to, to say, okay, because he couldn't go back from you know, I couldn't uh, couldn't change his mind at that point. But uh, he was a, a terrific person and a, and a really nice guy. He was, um, you know, an Oklahoma kind of country attitude. Um, didn't I never knew him to, to have a bad word with anybody. I mean, I never heard anybody say a bad word about Bobby. You know, he was just a nice guy. Um, always a smile on his face and uh, uh you know we he uh had a few notable things about him he had a, his his wick that he used all most of the time was about i don't know maybe 24 inches long it was the shortest whip i ever saw crop and had a handle like the size of a baseball bat just a handle it was a little stiff stick uh, just more like a a um uh, show horse crop, hmm. but uh, you know he was, but he was such a natural rider, and uh, you know they named us the the Usuri's Alley. Usuri's Alley in New York. Yep. I said to him one time, I said, "Is that really?" He said, "Hey, you know, seemed to work. You know, <laughs> worked for me. It worked for me." Well, he, yeah, yeah, I, I saw him uh, probably so. Uh, maybe I'd seen him about two years, I guess, before I left Florida. Uh, and he lived down in Hollywood. He was in Hollywood. Um, yeah, he stayed in Hollywood. He in Hollywood. Uh, he lived. He had a condo there at the uh, what used to be the Hollywood Beach Hotel. Yes. What's it called now? Yeah, the big building at the end of sure. Hollywood Boulevard, right sure. on the ocean. Yeah. I used to see him. I mean, he'd be on the boardwalk there, the Broadwalk there. Uh, chatting with people, and uh, he'd go to the track and you know hold court. But uh, as I think his son was with him most of the time his last years, which was nice. But uh, just a really, yeah, you know, like I say, top top guy, and uh, we'll miss him, miss him a lot. Anywhere he went, you know, he just wanted to be a happy guy, and that's yeah. what he was. Very much, and uh, every picture you saw of him, uh, smiling, and he, he's one of these guys. And I, Tony, Tony said, "I'll I'll save it for the airwaves." Uh, Tony said he's got a couple of stories uh, that uh, you know everybody. I think is like you say, has got a, a sort of a happy uh, you know recollection, and, and you know his career. I, I mean, as a as a Hall of Famer. Uh, immediately after, you know, almost immediately after retirement, and uh, after I think what the you know the requisite five years, but uh, mm -hmm. that actually, but you know, it's funny, that might have been in the seventies, right? That but but then later on they made it so that you could anybody you didn't have to be retired to to get in the hall. We got tons of guys yeah. that, that are in the hall that are still. He alive. was in, he got in in eighty. He got in in '80, so he had been retired for five years. Six years. Yeah, five, six years. Six there years, you go. Six, yeah, yeah. Five, six years. Yeah. His, yeah. he's got a very nice list. I mean, in terms of, 
you know, the kind of races oh. that he won. Oh my God, the races that he won. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, he he called me. He called me maybe five years ago, and he said, "John, I think I want to do my uh, autobiography." Oh, you? Would I you remember this. And I said, "Sure," and I said, "Sure, Bobby, yeah." And uh, and so I, I he said, "Well, what should I do?" And I said, "Well," he said, "I got a lot of pictures and things." Uh, I said, "Well, I'm going to send you like a list of questions." And you look at those, and we'll, you know, we'll go from there. We'll, you know, start. And uh, and we went back and forth for a couple of weeks. And he said, you know what, John? He says, I don't think I wanna, I wanna do it. I, it's just, you know, so I changed my mind. I don't wanna do it. And uh, so we let it go. But I'm, I'm sure his son has an amazing collection of, of photos because he w- he was a, you know, like a. Um, the movie star personality as far as the sports world went back at that time, you know, and yeah. racing was, yeah. you know, and he was right in the sweet spot too, the fifties and sixties, Arcaro and those guys were in too. You know, but, he uh, only rode, he only rode 23 years, which yeah. doesn't, well, that's what I, you know, I say Steve, he was big, he was thick, you know, and he was short, but he was, wasn't a little skinny guy. He was a solid right. man. And I'd say, you know, he must have weighed 160 or 70 when he, you know, in his later years, and he got big. But, but, um, uh, yeah, the film thing that always stuck in his craw was Dancer's Image, you know. Yeah. I mean, you didn't want to get him started on that, you know, like, you know, because he, he, I don't know, rightfully felt that he was robbed of a derby when, you know, well, I mean, as much as he was, uh, even even more so, Peter Fuller. Uh, I mean, mm-hmm. what, what they did sure. to Peter it was it was criminal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. Good guy. Yeah, I'd be interested to hear what Tony has to say. I'm sure they were. They must have cut up a lot. Uh, Tony, right? You know, Tony just was coming around as uh, on the mm-hmm. tail end, but they overlapped for about five years and. Uh, We'll we'll hear from Tony. You know, uh, Bobby uh, Usry won he won a Queen's Plate in uh, in '59. Mm-hmm. How about that? Uh, he won the mm-hmm. won the Travers in in '58 on Piano Jim uh, mm-hmm. for Oscar White, and uh, mm-hmm. the Alabama in '58, the Whitney Wood Memorial mm-hmm. twice, uh, the Brooklyn a couple of different times. Uh, I've put up the picture. I'm sure I'll put it up today. I've got the fabulous picture uh, from Ballyache uh, winning the Preakness. That, uh, I've got those that presentation uh, picture that uh, I know I put up from from Pimlico in years past that that I love uh, for with Usery. So now I I had to. This is one of those. You know, this is one of those. Connections uh, yeah. to yeah to the games past that that you know he's, he obviously retired. I mean, uh, fifty years. It, it's hard to it, you know it's hard to make right. a connection. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're, right? Yeah. That's why people. I I, I was sort of I, I was sort of stunned that there wasn't uh, very. Pe- I understood why people didn't have much to say uh, because there's just you know there isn't as direct a connection to him. Yeah, and he was, uh, like I say, he was a movie star back when, you know. Yeah. Like, like, yeah. Uh, 
Well, we'll see what Tony. Tony's going to join us now. And uh, John? I'm still, I'm, if I'm still big, the movie's got small. That's right. That's right. Thank you, Mrs. Desmond. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Uh, Hubdi, Hubdi will love that. Uh, John, this was great. I appreciate it. Perfect way to introduce you. Maybe, maybe. John Parada, everybody. Thanks, John. John, uh, appreciating Bobby Ustry. Let's go right to Tony uh, before we take the bottom hour. the bottom of the hour break, and uh, there we go. Uh, here we go. Here's Tony. I, you know, the one thing, and you, you hear me, <laughs> you hear me mention this every year when it comes to uh, when it comes to the birthdays. Now, it, it, you've got so many different, you, you have so many different ways that you have to thank everybody for their. You know, for their birthday wishes, there, there's text, there's email, there's the, the social media spots. I, I, it, it, it'll, it'll take it'll I, I, every year. I say the same thing. Uh, thanks everybody collectively for the birthday wishes, and I'll I'll get back to each of you soon enough. And then you know, no matter how much you try, you never get back to everybody. But uh, it was great to uh, great to talk to John, even under these circumstances. Tony Black, we couldn't uh, we couldn't let Thanksgiving arrive without. Without Tony, we're going to hear about chestnuts here any minute and the chestnut stuffing that everybody uh, everybody always asks me. Tony's mother's chestnut stuffing. Tony, good morning. Good morning, Steve. And I was one of the first to wish a happy birthday. Yes, on you social were. Media. I saw that and I said, "Man, I'm going to. If I talk to him today, I'm going to make sure I do it before I talk to him." Yeah, mom's stuffing. It's the you know the ground beef, the sausage, the chestnuts, little onion in there. And I love the chestnuts, you know, the, the chestnuts just bring out the best in the stuff. And, and I've told her uh, this year, I said, I'm not letting you cook, but you can come down the house and help me make the stuff. And then we'll have the turkey uh, done uh, the night before or whatever. She said, all right, I'll do that. But uh, I love that stuff and she makes. No, we, we, you know, Thanksgiving very big on this show. And uh, I don't know. When it started, I think it probably started when I first asked. I remember asking everybody one year. I don't know when it's what specific year I started doing it, but you know, what's your favorite Thanksgiving thing? And and you came up with the chestnut stuffing, and that that uh, that resonated. You gotta love it. You gotta love it. I eat it for days after. I make more than we're ever gonna need because I like eating just the stuffing days after Thanksgiving. Nothing better than that. That's that's Tina's favorite. Tina Tina has just. My stuffing, which was my mother's, I mean, it's not mine. Uh, and, and Tina, just that, that, more than anything, gravy, and uh, and the stuffing. She'll she'll eat that uh, for four or five days. It's pretty. That's good. me. I, I, I totally <laughs> agree with Tina. That's some of the best part of Thanksgiving is the, the stuffing, and I make sure that I'm stuffed with the stuffing for days after i you know it's funny you know you look on on things like uh, uh like on instagram and and there's you know and, and tiktok and stuff and there's the little videos of ideas and and different suggestions and i've already i've already actually cataloged a couple and and like copied and pasted and printed uh two or three recipes and uh including a make-ahead gravy my my biggest frustration when it comes to Thanksgiving is gravy. I'm just not good at it, and 
no matter how many different things I try to do. But I saw a recipe about a guy showing make-ahead gravy, and I'm going to do that, like, tomorrow. And because uh, I'm tired of, of, you know, not delivering not delivering a gravy that you know, really works on, uh, on, on Thursday itself. Um, but I saw a crazy thing where, and I think she's a home chef. I don't think she's a professional, but she takes the stuffing and makes a waffle, uses her waffle iron and makes like a, a waffle of the stuffing and uses it sort of as the base uh, for like a hot turkey sandwich almost. And I it, thought, it's, right? It's it, not so crazy. Sounds good. Not so crazy. Sounds good. I, that's what I, I said. To, I, I sent it to Tina. I said, look at this. And, and, and it she, probably crisps up the stuffing a little bit, gets like a crust or a crisp. Exactly. Crust to it. Exactly. Be, yeah, you got to love it. I never thought anything like that with the waffle iron or whatever. Yeah. But I love this stuffing. I, but there's nothing better than the stuffing and the chestnuts. You know, you, you cut them in half anyway when you put, or you can piece them. So they would even uh, cook into the waffle iron because you, you don't put the, you can put whole chestnuts. But I like cutting them into quarters. Well, you, you, it's a whole thing. You know, when I was, uh, it's funny you mentioned, I think we do this every year when chestnuts come up. It, it, if you grew up in New York, and I'm sure that this is also true in Chicago, uh, Philly, you know, any place that there are street vendors. Right. When I was a kid in New York, I don't, I cannot remember the last time I saw a guy roasting chestnuts, uh, you know, on a, with a street cart. You know, they have those, they have those right. aluminum carts, uh, the steel carts, and then it's got like a, a round pan uh, that's foil lined and with charcoal, and they're roasting, I mean, literally, the they're roasting yeah, it. But- that's where my dad grew up in New York, and he loved chestnuts. And then when we put them in the stuff, and he just loved them. And I remember even though uh, one of the snacks at night, you know, uh, when we were growing up as kids, dad would take the chestnuts. They had been soaked. He'd split, you know, put a slice in them. You put an X. You put an X on uh, yeah. the top. But, right. And then he'd put them in the oven and roast them. And that would be, then you'd take them out when you'd peel them and you'd eat them. And that was your snack at night sometimes. The, the chestnuts. <laughs> Dad loved the chestnuts. And then when you put the chestnuts, you know, they were peeled and put in the stuffing. Ain't nothing better than the chestnuts in the stuffing. It gives it a, right. a, a nice texture and flavor. And you gotta love chestnuts. I, I love chestnuts to this day. I Dad taught me that. I usually, I usually put walnuts in the stuffing, but I made it. I did see bags of chestnuts at at the store the other day, maybe this, maybe we'll, tr- maybe I'll for the first time I'll, I'll play around with. Uh, and they, they, with they, they sell them already roasted in the bags, you know, where you don't have to go through the process of roasting them, cleaning them, and then cutting them up, putting them in the stuff, and when it's cooking. But uh, yeah, they sell them already roasted and cleaned, you know, no shell. The, like these them. are these are shell. These 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 yeah. ba- these ones I'm seeing are uh, they're like in a little, uh, you know, like in a little. Uh, Bag. I've seen them both ways, where they're already yeah. shelled, you know, shelled, and then where they're not. But uh, yep, Dad, Dad grew up in New York. When you mentioned New York, I said that's where Dad 
uh, got initiated to, and uh, introduced to the stuff uh, to the um, chestnuts. Love the chestnuts. You used to when you'd come out of you'd come out of Madison Square Garden for a you know a hockey or a basketball game. This is in the fall, and there'd be the guys with the, the with the pretzels, right. and uh, they'd be heating the pretzels up over the charcoal and uh, and a bag, and you could get a bag of chestnuts. And that with yeah. you, the guy. I also remember the guy on Lansdowne Street in Boston going going to the Red Sox game. There was the peanut vendor that had uh, that had the, the the flat wagon with the roaster. I mean, this 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 is the perfect time to discuss this because I'm 64 years old today, and, and I and I guess uh, you know I'm relating some things that that don't exist anymore. Tony, uh, let's let's uh, talk about Bobby Ussery, and you were coming around just as his career was seemingly winding down. I don't know. Right. I don't think you heard John Parada just now, but John was his last agent. Uh, they had a little bit of success right at the end at Monmouth. Uh, your your Bobby Ussery memories. Yeah, Bobby Ussery, he was, uh, I started riding in 70, he was ending up here in 74. He came to Libertyville and uh, some of the crowds in Jersey, and, you know, if like you just said, but every you know, one day at Libertyville, and the older riders in those days, they were willing to teach them. They weren't always like uh, sugar-coating everything, you know, like I can remember guys like um, Chris Rogers, uh, you know, Walter Blum, Phil Grimm, you know, that era of riders from my uncles, uh, Sambo Medes and Brooks and those guys. Uh, like I said, they wouldn't know, always sugarcoat everything, but they would walk up to you and say, hey, hey, can you, what, you, what were you doing that for? Why don't you do this? Or, I saw you doing this a couple of times. It's stupid, you know? <laughs> and one day, walked up to me and says, what's the deal with that horse? You know, he went, she, she can run, winning, a, winning races, and, you, and uh, you're coming down the stretch. He said, uh, you know, I know she's winning by a bunch of lanes, but why don't you go switch to her right lead? Why are you letting her on her left lead? That's a bad habit. Stupid. You know? Well, she wouldn't need What's the difference if she changed these? And he says, he, and I didn't see that to him, but that's what I'm thinking. You know, you never talk back to these guys, yeah, because uh, they were willing to teach you, even if you were just a dumb kid or a kid that was willing to listen. And if you weren't willing to listen, they'd never talk to you and they didn't teach you nothing. But I, I, I says, well, well, she's winning easy. He says, yeah, but, you know, one day she ain't going to be winning easy. And you got her coming down the stretch on her left lead and not switching over to her right lead, her fresh lead, where she can maybe uh, feel fresh and accelerate if you need her to accelerate. He says, horses learn through repetition. They learn through uh, constantly showing them the, something, what to do. And all you're showing her is you can finish on your left lead and you never have to change. One day she'll have to change because she needs to get to a fresh lead and she won't do it because you taught her how not to do it. And I thought to myself, you know, it makes a lot of sense. You know, even if you, if you um, let them finish on, uh, on a lead just because they're winning easy, that's what they'll do when they ain't winning easy or they ain't winning and you needed them to switch to their fresh lead, their right lead. Especially like if a horse leaves the gate on its left lead and you let them run around the turn all the way up the stretch on one lead. It's not the right thing to do. Or if they leave the gate on their right lead, they switch their left lead in the turns and then they come down the stretch on the left lead. It's not the thing to do because you're teaching them the wrong thing. When horses change leads, they can run straight on either lead. It doesn't matter. You know, it's easier for them to turn on their left lead. But when you come down the stretch, 
you want them to switch to their fresh lead, the one that they haven't been running on around the turn, and that's their right lead. And maybe they don't need it on the day that they're winning easy, but someday they'll come down the stretch and they'll they'll be in that habit of not switch, and then they won't switch, and somebody will run past you. And and if they were to switch, they might add enough energy to continue forward and win. So it was just the way he he taught me, or not taught me, but explained it to me. And I'll never forget, we had the same valet, I think, at uh, Liberty Bell. And uh, I used to look at our equipment, you know, and John had sticks in the day that could be as long as they wanted, you know. He had the shortest stick. It couldn't have been, it was sticks of 32 inches, which they are now, I think. It was 20 back then. That's what John said. John John brought that up. Yeah. Oh, I didn't do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, and I, I used to look at that and say, how do I? And it was stiff as a board. I mean, it was short, but there was very little flex to them. And then, I didn't hear that, though. That John said that. that yeah. That, oh, geez. See, I, had, I, haven't, um, I haven't been able to listen because uh, you said that. Yeah, with the stream. I, yeah, we're working on the. They've got to yeah, add the stream I, to New York to our and, Albany and, studio. And I didn't continue the, the, uh, the, uh, the car I got uh, XM Sirius. And I and I didn't uh, continue it on this new car. I got to uh, subscribe to it, so I couldn't even go out in the car and listen to it. But he had the shortest stick, you know, it had feathers on it, everything. <laughs> and it wasn't you couldn't make it flex. I mean, it was just stiff as a board and was short. But he'd use it, and he'd use it, and they would respond to it. But he wasn't an overly uh, use of a stick type rider. And uh, you know, the thing about him, these older riders, you know, they. they uh, at, at that time, you know, the weights were uh, were um, a little lighter than what they are now. And he wasn't a, a small guy, you know. He was a muscular, solid guy, you know. Not t- terribly tall, but taller than me. Everybody's taller than me. But, uh, <laughs> but, uh, he used, and, but, but he kept his weight. And in those days, you know, riders kept their weights in, in various ways. And uh, he, he um, you know, he would hit the box and... I, I never, I never forget. He would go after he hit the box. He'd come out and he'd tell the masseur. And I, I used to laugh when he way talk him. He said, hey, "Frank, Frank, Frank, my shoulder's killing me. Frank, my, uh, you gotta help me with my shoulder today. It's killing me." And I'm thinking, I used to laugh because he's always telling Frank his shoulder was really sore, you know. And I'm thinking, well, if you had a stick that was that short and that stiff, my shoulder would be killing me too because it don't flex again. <laughs> but anyway. <laughs> but he was, and then Frank would, the masseur would work on him, and he would, you know, and Bobby was kind of guy, he wasn't, like I say, he, he kept his weight. And in those days, riders kept their weight, like I said, various ways. If they had to be heavers, they were just heavers, you know, and that was just a part of of um, the way they uh, maintained maintain their yeah. weight. And yeah. That was it. Not, you know, I don't think it's a big secret with that he heaved, but... But you'd watch these guys eat. One year, my 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 uh, brother was uh, working in the jocks room kitchen during summer vacation when he was out of college, and I can't believe the way these guys eat. I said, "Yeah." I said, "Well, if you follow them to the men's room, you'll see how they can eat like that." And they could eat a pot of chili, the whole pot. <laughs> but they could eat a, and then they would just unload it. You know, it might be eight, ten pounds of food they'd unload in between a race and the next race. <laughs> Uh, amazing guys with great, great riders, and and he was an example of a of a world class quality rider. I never forget. I mean, he won a couple of derbies. I think Proud Clary and then Dancer's Image. Yeah. And Dancer's Image was disqualified. And I'll never forget when it was because of a uh, the Pino Butazal, and I think yeah. he came back positive. Right. And and uh, 
what the, and you know the the treating vet the uh, which well renowned well known mm-hmm. world was Alec Hardhill. Yep. And and uh, Doctor Hardhill, he he was world class vet, and uh, he was the Derby vet, <laughs> known as Doctor Doctor Derby. Doctor Derby, yeah, the Derby vet. And um, in fact, I still maintain contact with his daughter Alexis. Sure. And, and, and a sweetheart, she calls me, makes sure what I'm uh, behaving, and asks me what's going on. But uh, her dad was uh, was a vet that was second to none. I remember riding for Van Berg, and Van Berg would always have the uh, Doctor Hardhill, you know, um, working with his horses. Not that Jack couldn't do anything with him himself. <laughs> he didn't need a vet. But uh, it was a it was a, a, a unique time. And um, guys like us, you know, uh, they they won derbies. They won, I think, Preakness. They won an array of stake races. Uh, unbelievable. Uh, but what used to stand out was with me was the way he kept his weight and that short stick. <laughs> Just stuck in my mind. And one thing I told you, he don't teach horses to do the wrong thing. Make them change leads. What are you doing letting them come down the stretch on his left leg? Make them change. There you go. You you taught uh, you, you taught you something something that that stayed with you the rest of your career. I, you know yeah. the uh, the one thing that we've talked about. In fact, uh, was reaching for Meg too uh, because the the uh, you know the Ussery's Alley concept yeah. uh you know that chandelier that, move utilizing yes. utilizing the banking and you and i have talked about this but you know what on top of the the, the crown of the track too that you go to the crown and then you come down off the crown it would be running downhill through the lane if you could but also uh even further out you would see on floated racetracks or tracks that were just opened up that were um harrowed and a lot of times the outside wouldn't be harrowed it had been floated and he'd take them out to the floated hard section of the track the unfloated section and ride them down that Osprey valley and let them come off of that flat section and like i said the crown or whatever and they'd run down that was Osprey's alley and they'd be and then uh he he was well known for that and uh to this day and age you don't see anybody doing that <laughs> i don't know why but uh, he, he surely left his mark on racing. Between Ussery's Alley, the short stick, and uh, some of the things that he did on a horse's back, and some of the things he did off a horse's back, <laughs> left his mark on racing. I've got, uh, I was just digging around to find the picture I knew I had of him uh, for the 60 Preakness. And, uh, you know, he had, uh, he had a great look, and uh, he... Uh, as John explained too, just a, an upbeat personality, and uh, you know he 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 had a much more typical career in terms of timing. You know the, the, the that back then that was, you know that was a, a fairly typical career. Twenty twenty three years. years, yeah, twenty three yeah, years 20, basically. Started riding when he was sixteen, I guess. He was um, thirty five. He started riding what in. Uh, 51. 51. 51. Yep. So he was like 16 years old because well, he was born in 35, right? Yeah. So was six, 16, and he rode right up to uh, 73 or 4. Yep. Or, yeah, 74, so 23 years. And that was pretty typical in those days, you know, 18 to 20, 20 some years. My uncle rode 19 years, you know, and won 2,300 races. Uh, uh, so he rode uh, till 74, won 3,600 and what, 11, 136 and change. So, you know, they, they didn't, uh, fighters didn't last uh, 40 years like no, dummies not like, like me. <laughs> well, you, you and Smith and, and 
you know, yeah. Stevens and well, it, it's you know Perry the way Perry Utes and and uh, there's so many guys, you know, we've gotten very used to guys riding into their 40s and 50s, 60s, 60s, and 60s. now, 60s. yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's amazing. But he was a world class rider, and he was the kind of guy that, uh, like that era of riders, that if you wanted to learn, you watched and you asked questions, or they came up to you and they talked to you and told you something about what you're doing or what you can do to improve. You know, that was the era, like, uh, you know, Bomidas, Graham Blum, Chris Rogers, Bobby Usry, Steve Brooks, guys like that. They were willing to teach you if you were willing to shut up and learn. And that was it. Hmm. Shut up and learn. Eighty-eight, uh, Bobby Ussery, and uh, appreciate John and, and Tony being able to, you know, have personal contact. Uh, he, the like you said, he, he outlived. He outlived all his contemporaries. Yeah, and you know what? The last time I saw him, I was at uh, in Florida for a directors' guild meeting, and uh, Bobby was still like. Uh, interested and and it was a wealth of information when it came to a rider and racetrack experience and he maintained contact with the guild and was still involved with the guild and this was many years ago and i, I remember seeing him and after the guild meeting we went to uh uh we went to a place in hollywood i think it was named mcgowan's mcgowan's had a, we went and ate dinner and had a couple of drinks and he was there and, and you know he was just an interesting guy to talk to is there, is there a mcgowan's in florida that's someplace the, somebody near, uh, that's the, the, near uh near near, near hollywood go, florida near, well the, the, uh, near can't there. tell you that one that's a that one doesn't ring a bell but that doesn't mean you know i'm not there enough yeah, McGowan's was the name of the place I thought about it. And that's where we went and ate, and he was there. And he was just a neat guy to talk to and had, a, like I said, a wealth of information and experience on the racetrack. And uh, if, he, if, he, uh, if you asked him a question, he'd give you an answer. And if you didn't like the answer, he really didn't care. <laughs> <laughs> Tony, uh, what, uh, a couple of, couple of mornings here yet, uh, the Thanksgiving. And uh, appreciate it, uh, as always, best uh, for the family, and uh, hope it's a fabulous Thanksgiving. That's one of our favorites. That's yeah, one of my favorites, too. And uh, I uh, hope you have a great rest of the day for your birthday, and I hope you have a great Thanksgiving. And if you make that stuff and think of me while you're eating the chestnuts. <laughs> eating them chestnuts, you think of Tony Black. <laughs> Every, that, now, everybody, when they have a chestnut, that's all they're going to think. You're you're an old chestnut yourself. There you go. Yeah, I've been called a lot of kinds of nuts. Chestnut is just fine. You call me any kind of nut you want. Chestnut's just fine. Tony, I appreciate it, buddy. I'll talk to you in a couple of weeks. You take care. Have a great Thanksgiving. Say hi to Tina for me, and uh, take care, Steve. Thanks, Tony. Tony Black, everybody, and uh, nice to uh, nice to have a couple of personal ties to. To Bobby Ussery, going to um, going to head to the break, and um, we I, I better I better pull it together because uh, it's my uh, it, it, it's uh, it's my responsibility today, <laughs> so I better uh, uh, I better be prepared for this, right? So let me uh, give me a minute. Uh, the uh, I'm, I, and and trying to catch up on uh, 
and a few other uh, a few other of these uh, potential visits here later on. John White uh, in hour three, and uh, Mark Cassie. Uh, is going to join us next. You know, one story that uh, I just realized I have not uh, slipped in yet uh, from uh, the weekend. Again, that was uh, kind of under uh, underreported, to say the least. Uh, the uh, exoneration, essentially, uh, of McLean Hendricks and Kerry Bryan, the uh, the HISA press release that uh, essentially uh, lifted uh, the you know uh, the suspensions uh, that uh, that they had leveled, and I'm just digging here for because I know I I know I printed the story out. Uh, I saw the saw the press release and, and quickly the other day uh, sent a uh, sent a note to both of them and uh, we're going to talk you obviously we talked to Kerry in Jersey at uh, extensively uh, the day before Far Hills and she was stoic uh, but you could also tell uh, plenty unnerved McLean Hendricks. And, and McLean wasn't necessarily and isn't necessarily going to go on with the, the, his training career as it happens. But at the same time, this was, you know, this was humiliating. And they're just, they're oblivious to what the ramifications are when they level these things. Uh, and, and, you know, it, it, it's a it's a complete you know, shoot first, ask questions later mentality. And, 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 and then, you know, then comes uh, the press release, uh, you know, subsequently, oh, uh, we, we, you know, we, we went through these uh, machinations and uh, uh, the, the provisional suspension uh, is lifted, is, is rendered moot. <laughs> I, it, it, this is no way to run a railroad. I'm sorry, I, it, and, and we've said this now repeatedly with every with every misfire. Uh, you know, for those that for those that haven't uh, you know been following closely or don't necessarily have a tie, uh, McLean had a was in the midst of lining up a job offer, and. Uh, that was rescinded essentially he lost the he lost the chance at you know at a a racing industry related employment <laughs> and it's it, it they're just not they're just not it's not responsible it's not a, a responsible way to to handle this business and I'm sorry for, for those, you know, and, and I, I, I guess there's, you know, there's a certain mentality out there that say, oh, well, it's residual damage, the greater good will be served long. No, no, no. That's not the way 
that's not the way due process works and particularly under you know under these kinds of circumstances where someone's reputation is, is going to be instantly you know under a shadow and, and impugned and uh, and then you know the the, the people that draw an a instant conclusion they're they're not going to revise their their conclusion their 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 minds are made up and and that's that it, this is it's on it's completely unfair it it you know the whole concept of fair play doesn't seem to enter into this so i i just uh i'm sorry this is not uh not the way to to handle our you know our business it, so we'll, we'll 